once again, going to address our, our theme for this year. Last Sunday, uh, we announced what that was, and it simply stated, I will trust him. And uh, we want to kind of further expand on that today, and uh, kind of as a launch pad for uh, what we are going to be uh, sharing today, it comes out of Psalm chapter 56 and verse 3. Short little verse of scripture, and uh, one I think you could uh, almost uh, memorize with, with one reading. It says, whenever I am afraid, I will trust you, Okay. It would sound good to me if we all read that out loud. If you'll join me, we're going to start right at whatever, okay? So, whenever I am afraid, I will trust you. Remember that the next time you're afraid, all right? We, uh, as I said last Sunday, made the declaration that we will trust him. You know, that's, that's easy to say at times, isn't it? When we feel safe or, you know, when there's no immediate concerns in front of us. Uh, you know, we're kind of in our rational mind, not our emotional mind, but kind of in our rational mind. It's, it's easy to declare, yes, I will trust the Lord. I will trust Jesus with my life and uh, with all the circumstances that I encounter. But it's when we're tested that sometimes it's harder to uh, say that and, uh, you know, commit to trusting God but even as the psalmist writes here in Psalm 56, whenever I am afraid, here's my decision, I will trust you. It's easy, I think, you know, to be more confident, maybe even overconfident or glib, uh, maybe a bit naive in our approach to doing something important. You know, we, we think success, especially when we feel like God has directed us or God has given us an assignment. I'm doing this for God. God has placed this on my heart. I want to do this. And it's easy to trust and, and just assume and be kind of optimistic towards what we believe God is, is going to do and lead us to success in that. Because sometimes we, we make the, uh, the logic mistake, and we, we discussed this a little bit last Sunday, in the life of, of Job, just kind of a short recap of that, is, you know, Job was somebody that God favored because he saw his life of integrity. He saw his life of righteousness. He saw Job as committed to the Lord. And, and uh, God's own words was, have you considered my servant Job? There is no, no one like him in all the earth. He is upright. He has integrity. And uh, God favored Job. And so Job's life as a result of that was, was blessed. He had abundance. He had abundant wealth. He had a thriving and large family. And he had status among his peers. All, all of the, you know, things were going very well for Job. And then, as you know, if you know the narrative story of Job, is that that ended all in one day. In one day, he lost his wealth. In one day, he lost his family. In one day, he lost his status among his peers. And he becomes this pathetic figure sitting on a, on a, on a heap of ashes, covered in boils all over his body, and, uh, and his, quote-unquote, friends and comforters join him. And they 
make the logic, which <clears throat> I think we are often prone to, okay? Uh, I, I think I've made the same sort of logic or made the same sort of assumption in my own life. If, I, if I'm living a life of righteousness, the best as I know how, and uh, living for God, I'm not cheating or stealing or, or uh, you know, in any way living contrary to that, that blessings should follow that. And, you know, we, we see that. We see evidence of that, even in the life of Job himself. He was an upright man, and God blessed all that he did. Until, all of a sudden, he doesn't. You know, we, we experience difficulty and trouble. And so here he is. He's lost everything. His friends surround him. And essentially, their argument to Job is, okay, Job, fess up. You must have been living a double life. You must have had, you know, secret sin because God knows it. And all this has happened to you because you have been bad. All right? And uh, Job says, nope, I'm not guilty uh, of your charges. I have lived righteously and I have integrity. And why this has happened, I don't know. But it's not because... I'm living some kind of double life. And so the argument goes back and forth, and, and he continually gets accused of, of living a, a double standard, a double life. And, uh, and the truth of the matter is that Job was righteous even through all of his difficulties. But you and I sometimes adopt the same kind of mount, uh, uh, mindset, is, is that we think, you know, because I'm doing what is right, that my life should be relatively trouble-free. You know, maybe some minor things here and there, but, but really, I should be spared difficulty. And that is a strategic mistake for us to make because that doesn't always, that's uh, not always the way it, it pans out. Some, when we encounter unexpected resistance from the enemy, it can rock our faith, it can cause doubts in our minds, and discourage us from fulfilling what God has directed us to do. And, and we can't help it. Sometimes we just make assumptions that, you know, if I'm good, no trouble. And, you know, I can, if I, I understand, if I do bad, then yes, I can experience trouble. But sometimes life is confusing. Uh, the, the writer, I think, oh, I'll probably misquote here, but um, I think around the 71st Psalm, the, the, the writer of that Psalm, he questions God. He, he says, God, I don't, I don't understand this. Uh, I, I survey and assess my own life here, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in poverty, and my health isn't that good. But I look at the wicked. I observe the wicked people. And their life is full of ease, and there's no suffering, and, and they're healthy, and, and they have enough to eat. And, and he goes on and on and on, and he says, and I don't get it. Sometimes we're the same way. Sometimes, you know, we compare ourselves with others, and we think, well, I, I'm at least trying. I may not be a perfect person, but I'm at least trying. They're not even trying, and everything seems to go perfect for them, and my life is full of trouble and difficulty. And uh, we, we get discouraged about these things. And, and uh, we, we question our trust in God. You know, it's like, God, if, if trusting you is all that, then why, why am I having trouble? And we, you know, we, we want to quit. We want to just say it's not worth it. Um, 
Discouragement is really what the enemy is after in our lives. He wants to discourage us. Why do we quit doing anything? You know, some of us may have made uh, New Year's resolutions. You know, they say the average length of a New Year's resolution is 16 days. So, so by Tuesday, you're done, all right? Um, so if it's to lose weight or to work out or whatever, you know, by Tuesday, you can check out, right? Because this ain't working, 16 days. And, uh, you know, but, you know, we deal with discouragement. You know, it's like, I'm not going to waste my energy. I'm not going to, you know, trust. If it just turns out bad for me, I'm just going to stop. You know, that's kind of the way we are wired as human beings. And, and, uh, and yet to trust God is, is you know, tr- what was trust made for? Was it made for the days where we're laying on the beach in Maui? Not hard to trust then, huh? Right? Everything's going pretty good, you know? And uh, trust God, sure, no problem. What is trust really made for? Trust is made for the trouble. It's made for the difficulty. It's made for the frustrations that, that we experience in life. You know, we are taught, and I, I think we teach our, our children, you know, like, if you do well, if you obey, you know, things will go better, things will go well for you, you know, if you, if you do the right thing. And, and that, for the most part, is true. It's true when it's true. But sometimes we do all the right things, and it doesn't go well, at least not up to our expectations. So what do we do at times like that? Well, um, I want to kind of like we kind of had this broad survey over the book of Job. I want, to, I want to look at kind of a broad survey over the book of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah was, was a, uh, a Jewish man, and uh, he was part of the captivity when uh, Babylon came and, and conquered Jerusalem, and uh, they destroyed the city, burned it with fire, and they took all the all the inhabitants of Israel, and they carted them off to Babylon uh, to uh, be their servants and their slaves. And Nehemiah was such a man. Nehemiah was an outstanding uh, person, and uh, he must have risen through the ranks uh, because uh, at the opening of the book of Nehemiah, it finds him as the cup bearer to the king. Now, we don't understand that because um, we don't live in the same kind of circumstances, but uh, the cupbearer to the king was basically his bodyguard in this sense. Is that, you know, to, you know, if you were mad at the king or maybe you wanted to be king, but you had to get rid of the present king, uh, a popular way to end the life of the king was to put poison in what he was going to drink and then he would drink it and then he would die so what's the solution to that well you have somebody drink it first and if they don't die then you drink it okay and that's who nehemiah was so the cupbearer to the king had to be you know a trustworthy uh person uh that you could trust and uh, that they would guard the cup of the king and guard what he drank and they would test it on behalf of the king and, uh, and so 
that's what Nehemiah was, and he was trusted in that. And he must have been an excellent man because uh, the king noticed that one day Nehemiah came into his presence and his, he says, your countenance is sad. And Nehemiah pours his heart out. He says, how can, how can my countenance not be sad? He had recently had a conversation with somebody who had come from Jerusalem and reported on the status of that great city and said it was full of rubble, the walls were broken down, everything had been burned, and it was a hopeless circumstance, and it broke Nehemiah's heart. And in that moment that he heard all of that, God put a dream in Nehemiah's heart that he should rebuild the city. And this is an impossible task, impossible dream. But he decided to trust God, and he laid that dream before the Lord, and God said, yes, yes. And, and so Nehemiah did a very risky thing, and that is he entreated the king. He asked the king, he says, can I take a leave of absence to rebuild Jerusalem, the city of my forefathers? The king immediately granted permission, and, and beyond permission, is that he wrote him letters stating the authority that under you know the authority of the king, Nehemiah is going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and then released resources, timbers from the from the king's forest and and the ability to hew stone and, and all of these things that belonged to the king, the king released as resources to Nehemiah to do this. Now if God had laid a huge task on your heart and it was a risky ask of Nehemiah to ask the king to do this just to take a leave of absence and God granted all of that and even more than you asked would you feel like hey I've got God's approval on this right and you would be right you would be right Nehemiah gathers a small group to return to Jerusalem with him and on their arrival their enemies take note, okay? So all of a sudden there's this growing resistance to what the Jews are going to do. And they, uh, they start, you know, they start clearing some of the rubble and, and they get, start getting organized and they're starting to, to move the stones and move them back into place and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And their enemies decide hey, we don't, we don't like what they're doing. And this is where I think sometimes when we are certain that God has spoken to us, I want you to do this, is that God has just granted us unfettered uh, and unhindered access or, or a blessing in order to accomplish what he has laid on our heart. And that's, I think, the, the sort of strategic mistake we make. It, it it gives the enemy an opportunity to harass us at that point and to discourage us. So we'll pick up the narrative in the fourth chapter of Nehemiah, and I want to read the first three verses. And so here are the Jews, they're, they're out there, they're building the wall. The neighborhood bully, Sanballat, shows up, okay? And it says, so it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. Have you ever been mocked for doing something right? <laughs> Have you ever been mocked for doing something for God? <laughs> it happens. 
And uh, the whole point here is to discourage and to cause them to stop what God has put on their heart. And he, Sambalat, spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones and heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah, Sanballat's sidekick, now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Ooh. <laughs> Mocking them. Discouraging them. Trying to drain them of this energy they have to do this great work for God, to restore Jerusalem, the place of temple worship. And here they are just throwing these demeaning, mocking sort of statements out there. And you know, sometimes you and I, we, we get that kind of feedback. You know, we, we're doing something for God. We're doing something for our family. And then we get ridiculed for it. We think, you know, who do you think you are? You know, it's like, you're not strong enough. You're not, you don't have enough money. You don't have, you know, what you need to do what God is. And, and what effect does it have on us? Well, often the effect is that it just, we just want to quit. We just want to stop. Um, <clears throat> I said I wouldn't give the advertisement today, but maybe I'll slip it in this way. Why do most people stop reading their Bibles. Number one reason, survey says, discouragement, right? You get discouraged. Oh, I'm so far behind. I'm just going to quit. Oh, I don't understand. It's too hard to read. I'm just going to quit. Discouragement. We face it in every area of our life. Why do uh, New Year's resolutions only last 16 days? Discouragement. Well, you know, I try to lose weight, 16 days, you know, haven't lost a pound. Just might as well quit. We don't deal with discouragement very well. That's where the enemy is going to strike. He's going to try to seek to discourage us from accomplishing what God lays on our heart. Now, the important thing for us to recognize here, and we, we see this in the narrative that we just read, is it Sam Ballot, Tobiah, the neighborhood bully duo here? It's just talk. It's just talk. I don't know if you grew up in the era, but I did when neighborhood bullies or whatever, you know, would try to discourage us, maybe call us names. What, what's the response to that? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. It's not true, but you know, that's what we'd say. But you know, just words. You're stupid, you're ugly, you're whatever. None of it true, but yet it discourages us. And we have to manage that. We have to, it plays into our trust with God. God, I'm so discouraged here. I'm trying to do a good thing and all I get is resistance or everybody abandons me or whatever the circumstances or these people are making fun of me and I'm trying to do a good thing. We, we pour out our complaint before the Lord because we're discouraged. 
It's a pretty effective strategy. Satan's used it for a millennium and discouraged many people and certainly has visited us with discouragement at times. But understand, this is all just talk. All these mockings that, that they're throwing out at Nehemiah and this small group of Jews rebuilding the wall, it's all just talk. And it really is nothing that is substantial in its uh, effect. I think the, the popular way we hear that kind of discouragement, you know, people want to intimidate us or threaten us is like, if we don't stop doing something they're displeased with or whatever, you know, it's like, you're going to hear from my lawyer. <laughs> Whoa, I don't want to get in legal trouble. I better back off, you know. But understand, it's just words. We get frightened by words. And certainly here in, in the narrative of, of Nehemiah, it was just words. How do we respond to that? Well, Nehemiah stays on assignment, okay? What was he there in Jerusalem to do? To build the wall. Did he find resistance? Yes. Was he mocked? Yes. Were they persecuted? Yes. What's our response to that? Well, look at Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 4 through 6. This is Nehemiah's response. Well, first thing he did is he turns to God. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads. And whatever they said about us, put it on them. And give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. What's his response? So we built the wall. I like that. So what do we do? We prayed and then we just built the wall. They kept on with the assignment God had given them. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. I think this is a powerful principle for us. In spite of opposition, in spite of discouragement, in spite of you know, experiencing difficulty and trouble in our lives, we will trust him. The Psalm 56, 3. When I am afraid... I will trust you. That's what trust was made for. It was, it, trust is for the day of trouble. So until God redirects us, we stay with the plan. Did God say, oh, you know, as Nehemiah pours out his, his complaint to the Lord there, you know, God, how does God respond to that? You know, did he say, oh, you poor thing, you might as well stop, you know. You might as well just give up, you know. No, it's like, you stay with the program. That's the dream. That's the dream. And uh, God placed that in his heart. And until God redirects that plan, we stay with the last set of instructions you were given until you are given new instructions. Okay? It's hard. It's really hard because maybe things take too long. Um... I've told the story before, so if you have heard it before, forgive me, but for those of you who haven't, um, as a pastor here at New Life Assembly of God, I remember the year, 1994, okay? 1994. And uh, God had put it in our heart to purchase this land that is now a parking lot and, and recreation area behind our church. And uh, I just thought, you know what? We are the that is intended for us. God wants us to have this land. 
And it could be for, for now it's recreation space, but maybe, who knows, maybe in the future we need to expand our, our facility and, and we need property to do that because the piece we're on here is used. Uh, we max parking and max building and there's no more to improve either one. And so uh, I thought, God wants us to have this land. God put it in my heart. And I thought, 1994. And uh, so we, uh, we pursued it. And uh, it's a very long, detailed story. But suffice it to say, for 20 years, it would not happen. And we tried every means uh, legal <laughs> to obtain that land. And uh, there were times where we had to just battle discouragement, you know. And many times, you know, uh, we never got a no. That's why, you know, we kind of kept at it. We kept at it. We kept at it. And, uh, but we never got a yes either. And uh, many, most of the time, many of those years, there was no response, no matter how hard we tried. Um, owner lived in Anchorage. Uh, we even delivered flowers and... <laughs> And a letter and a request and, and uh, nothing, no response, nothing. And uh, anyways, it was getting along. Now, in the process, you know, you think, okay, all right, God gave us this dream. This land is for us. We can't think of any better use for that land than for us to have it. So felt like it was from God. And we encountered this resistance or at least lack of of response, and uh, so we think, okay, this is Satan obviously getting in the way, so we're going to double down, we're going to pray harder, we're going to Jericho march around the property, we're going to do whatever we can think of to do, and, uh, and nothing, no change uh, in the status, and no change in the response level, and, and I think, well, then, you know, you think, okay, we did all that, and we still don't have the property, so maybe it's not safe. Maybe God is saying, hey, what are you doing here? I never asked you to do this. I mean, you have doubts, right? And you think, okay, if it's not Satan, then is it God? And maybe I missed it, you know? And, and so we just shelve the whole idea. We just think, okay, that's not working. Uh, maybe God didn't speak to us. I really think he did, but maybe he didn't. And, you know, we go along like that for a while, and then all of a sudden, just like, you know what? That is ours! <laughs> That is what God wants us to have. And so we kind of start the whole process again. And uh, 20 years go by. It's 2014. And I am standing on the roof of the church and I am painting that cross up there. Okay? And uh, I didn't know anybody was in the area. And I went there just painting away and all of a sudden I hear a voice behind me and said hey pastor and I was like jumped out of my skin <laughs> you know when you're on the roof you assume you're up there by yourself right <laughs> and there yeah, maybe it was an angel but it sure looked like Roy Smith all right <laughs> and it sounded like Roy Smith and uh, I turned around and and after my heart rate got back to close to normal, uh, he asked me, he says, hey, pastor, I'm just curious. Have you had any action on the, on the property? I said, no. I said, Roy, I'm so discouraged. No, no, I can't even get somebody to respond on the phone. 
I said, I called and I called and I called. In fact, I called just yesterday. No answer. Leave a message. No return call. Nothing. And he goes, well, and we're having this conversation up there by the cross on the roof. And uh, so anyway, he, uh, he says, well, let me give him a call. I said, whatever, fine. My faith was, you know, non-existent, I should say. <laughs> He calls it up. The guy answers right away. And he goes, hey, he says, uh, we're, we're still interested in this land here. Are you interested in selling? And the man says, yes. And, I, and he says, okay. He says, uh, go down to the title office and, and uh, you know, let's, let's get this thing happening. And he doesn't. And after waiting 20 years, this is done in 20 minutes. And I'm walking out of the title office with the title. And I'm just thinking, there should be a marching band. <laughs> 20 years. You know, sometimes, you know, you think we're on a crusade for God. He gives us a project. He gives us a dream. He gives us a plan. And we, and we fight battles all through that. And, you know, we're, we start with such great optimism and, and uh, you know, we just feel like, man, we're on a mission for God and it doesn't happen. And we get resistance and we run into difficulty and, and the plan doesn't go the way I thought it was going to go. And sometimes we wait 20 years not knowing that it's going to be 20 years. And we think, this is God, let's try harder. This is not God, let's stop. You know? Oh, this is God, we, we got to try again. And, and you go through this range of emotions because the enemy wants to discourage us. So what do we do in the meantime? We're waiting 20 years. We just keep doing what we last thing we know to do. <laughs> we just do ministry. That was the last marching orders we got from God, and we're still praying about that. But it's really hard at times to keep doing what God has called you to do when, when we're discouraged or when you're lonely. Maybe, maybe you know, you started with a group and you're the last one. Everybody else leaves. And, and when things don't turn out as you hoped or maybe just the, the timing isn't right. It's at times like this that what trust was made for. We don't need that kind of trust when things are smooth and we're not being challenged. But we must trust in the test. Because trust will get us through the test. Sometimes we ourselves are tempted to quit and run. And let, let, me, let me just say this about when, when you meet up with a test and things aren't turning out and it's not making sense. This is not the way I thought it was going to go. Uh, you know, I had this idea and God gave me this dream and this plan and, and this isn't working out. This is nothing the, the way I thought it was going to be. Um, it's important at times like that that we don't quit and run because if we do, if we quit and we run and we go somewhere else, guess what test is going to show up in the somewhere else? A similar test. may not be the exact same test, but it will be the test. 
You may have relocated, but so will the test. And what God wants to do is build your faith through the test. And until you pass the test, you're going to keep meeting that test, no matter where you move, no matter where you go, no matter what circumstances may change around you, you're going to face a test. And it's in the test that you trust God until God makes it absolutely plain that he is redirecting your steps. You stay with the last set of instructions that God has given you. And so it's better to stay and pass the test to continue to trust God than to run and repeat the test. You know, at times, it, uh, you felt this, I felt this, you know, and times we're experiencing a test. You know, we pray, and isn't it amazing God just seems to go on vacation when you need him the most? You know, maybe he's laying on the beach in Maui, and, and you're still having trouble back here. And you pray, and you pray, but there's a principle. The teacher never t talks during the test. Isn't that true? Sometimes it's a matter of trust, and that's all that gets us through the situation. So, say all that to say this, is that stay with the last set of instructions until the Lord redirects your steps. Look at the, the Apostle Paul. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18. Paul writes to the Thessalonian church here, and he says, We wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Mm, isn't that interesting? The Apostle Paul, Satan even hindered him. Even though doing the will of God, even following, even penning scripture by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Satan hindered him. And sometimes Satan hinders even God plans. And so we can't get impatient or force something to happen. Let me, let me say this is that the will of God will always prevail. Okay? The will of God will always prevail. Not one time in all of eternity has God's will been thwarted. It might have been hindered, it might have been delayed, but it has never been defeated. You are on a sure win when you stay in the will of God. Because Satan is not strong enough to overpower the will of God. So we trust him. Sometimes with good intention, we set about to do something for God, and, and he directs us. Paul and Luke and others are on, their, on a missionary journey. It's recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 16. And Paul is out there just, God has sent, this, sent us on this missionary journey. We're out here to plant churches. We're out here to, to preach the gospel. We're here to turn people from uh, their sins to a savior. And, uh, and we'll pick it up in the narrative, starting in verse 6, Acts 16. It says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. So here they are in the province of Galatia, and they think, let's, let's head over to Asia. They, there are no churches there. We don't know if there's any believers there or not. And the Holy Spirit says no and redirects them. Verse 7, after they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. He said, nope, not here either. It get a little frustrating, right? He's like, God, we're trying to do something for you here. A little help, right? 
But they keep getting redirected. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Good conclusion. So sometimes God will redirect our steps till we get it right. Paul was on a mission. He was on a mission to plant churches and preach the gospel. And, and yet God, in that call, in that vision, kept redirecting him until he got where God wanted him to go. Proverbs 16.9 summarizes this whole principle. It says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. We have all the plans, but God will direct our steps. And that's part of our trust with him, is knowing that his leading will guide our steps and get us to where he wants us to be. So in all of this, whatever God has laid on your heart, maybe you've got a vision, you know, that, you know, to do something for God and it just doesn't come to fruition or um, maybe you've been frustrated, maybe you've attempted and you got discouraged and you quit, and, but it's still on your heart. See, that, that's part of the key. I, I think, you know, if, if we had pursued this land and, you know, we came to the conclusion, maybe God doesn't want it, maybe it was just me, but it wouldn't leave my heart. And that's what led me back to pursuing that land as discouraging and troublesome as it was. But God will continue to direct us. And if we stay in the will of God, even through the difficult times, if we continue to trust him, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says this. This is now thanks be to God who always, how many times out of 10 is always? Not a trick question. Anybody want to venture an answer? 10. 10 times out of 10 is always. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Now, is, is God lying to us? No, he always leads us in triumphs. And what is a triumph? Well, it's overcoming obstacles. It's overcoming difficulties. It's overcoming barriers to what we believe God wants us to do. But he always leads us in triumph in Christ. Why? Because the will of God has never been defeated. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. So when we trust God, we do not forsake him, we will triumph. We stay in the will of God. Live a holy life. Trust him. It does not guarantee a trouble-free life, but we are promised victory. But I, I want to encourage you today. You know, to start the year in a very optimistic way, I will trust him. You know, I want, I want to just prepare us. Expect that there might be turbulence ahead, okay? Expect there might be not a smooth path. There might be, you know, especially if you're attempting something for God, that maybe the enemy will hinder you. And it will be frustrating and discouraging. And I just want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't give up. Maybe, maybe your dream is your family to be reunited or maybe your family, you know, maybe you've got some children that are not serving the Lord and for them to come back to the Lord, you know, and it just seems like, man, it's not working. It's, you know, we try, we pray, and we just get discouraged. 
Maybe it's to change your situation. Maybe, maybe you want to go on a missions trip. And it just seems like all these good things, even for God, you know, just aren't working out. Let me just encourage you today. Don't give up. Trust him. That's what trust was made for. Get your head against the wall. It's where trust matters. Great verse of scripture. I think we kind of quote it in part all the time. Romans 8 28 says this, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Doesn't mean that there will be a lack of trouble. It's just God will weave that trouble and your trust into something good. And whatever, maybe right now you you don't have any particular trouble. Not saying you have to, but maybe you do. Whatever it is that's really on your heart, you really want to do for God, you want to be for Him, I, I, would, I just want to pray encouragement on you. Whether you're facing difficulty now or later, I want to pray that God encourages your heart today. Heavenly Father, as we stand here in this place, Lord, this is warm and dry and, and no particular emergency at this moment. And so, Lord, with that clarity, Lord, we look to the Word of God. Lord, to trust you is still the key. No matter what we may be presently experiencing, no matter what we may experience in the future, I will trust you. When I'm afraid, I will trust you. When I don't understand, I will trust you. When I don't know the timing, I will trust you. When all the evidence seems contradictory, I will trust you. And Lord, let that be unshakable in our lives. Lord, not the circumstances of our lives, the words of the enemy meant to be fiery darts against us. I will trust you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.